Hello again, my friends. Today, I want to share with you some positive news. It's a trend that is good for American workers, for progressive politics, and for America's future. It's the revival of unionism. Now, it's not just Amazon and Starbucks. In the last six months, the United States has witnessed a revival of union activism. Between October 1st, 2021 and March 30th, 2022, according to the National Labor Relations Board, there's been a 57% increase in workers filing for the petitions to allow union elections. Now, part of the reason for this revival of unionism is the so-called labor shortage, which, as I have stressed, is actually a shortage of jobs paying living wages. At least for now, workers have bargaining leverage to demand better pay and to form unions. Another part of the revival of unionism is related to the pandemic and its psychological effect on many workers who have begun asking themselves why they have settled for lousy jobs and often unsafe working conditions, especially when corporations are scoring record profits and CEOs of big firms are taking home record multiples of the typical workers' wages. And finally, more college graduates are now in blue-collar jobs, many of them leading unionizing efforts. There's something else here. The old assumption that people are paid what they are worth is finally revealing itself as an ideology grounded in nothing but power. Now, according to this mythology, minimum wage workers are not worth more than the $7.25 an hour they receive. If they were worth more, they would earn more. Any attempt to force employers to pay them more will only kill jobs. According to the same ideology, CEOs of big companies are worth their giant compensation packages, now averaging 350 times the pay of the typical American worker. Well, they must be worth it, so this ideology goes, or they wouldn't be paid so much. Any attempt to limit their pay is fruitless, because their pay will only take some other form. The you're paid what you are worth ideology, mythology, has proven to be dangerous. It is propounded and has been propounded by neoclassical economists and corporate lapdogs in C-suites and on Wall Street. It is wrong. GM workers 50 years ago earned more than twice Walmart and Amazon workers now. 50 years ago, GM workers, uh, well, they were, GM was the largest employer in America. The typical GM worker received over $35 an hour in today's dollars, which came to over $70,000 a year in today's dollars. Now contrast this with America's largest employers today, Walmart and Amazon. The Walmart, the typical Walmart worker earns about $15 an hour or $3,000 a year for a full-time employee. Typical Amazon worker earns $17 an hour or $35, $35,000 a year. Now, question, does this mean GM employees a half century ago were quote-unquote worth more than twice what today's Walmart and Amazon employees are worth? Hardly. GM workers then weren't better educated or more productive than Walmart or Amazon workers are today. Most GM workers 50 years ago hadn't graduated from high school. They hadn't, they, they worked on slow-moving assembly lines. Most of today's Walmart and Amazon workers 
have graduated from high school. Many have attended one or two years of college, and they are surrounded by digital gadgets, mobile inventory controls, warehouse search engines, instant checkout devices that make them enormously productive. The real difference between the GM workers a half century ago and the Walmart and Amazon workers today is GM workers had a strong union behind them that summoned the collective bargaining power of all auto workers enabling them to command a substantial share of company revenues for its members. And because more than a third of workers across America then belonged to a union, the bargains unions struck with employers raised the wages and benefits of non-unionized workers as well. Because, you see, non-union firms knew they would be unionized if they didn't come close to matching the union contracts. Most of today's Walmart and Amazon workers don't have a union to negotiate a better deal. They are on their own. And because only 6% of America's private sector workers today overall are unionized, non-union employers across America, they don't have to match union contracts. This puts unionized firms at a competitive disadvantage. The result? A race to the bottom. Unions built the American middle class. Their demise almost exactly tracks the demise of the American middle class and the growing share of total income going to the richest 10%. Are CEOs and Wall Street traders really worth their humongous pay? I mean, today's CEOs don't rake in 350 times the pay of average workers because they are quote-unquote worth 350 times the pay of average workers, CEOs get these giant pay packages and top executives just behind them rake in almost as much because, you see, they appoint the compensation committees on their boards that decide executive pay. Their boards also want investors to see that their company pays their CEO more than the average CEO at their major competitors, showing that their CEO is worth more. Look at either way, the result has been a CEO race to the top. If you still believe people are paid what they're worth, take a gander at Wall Street. Last year's average Wall Street bonus was up 20% over the year before to more than $257,500. Bonuses, that's the largest average Wall Street bonus since the 2008 financial crisis. And remember, we're talking bonuses above and beyond salaries. Are Wall Street bankers really worth this? Well, certainly not if you figure in the hidden subsidy flowing to the big Wall Street banks that ever since the bailout of 2008 have been considered too big to fail. People who park their savings in these banks accept a slightly lower interest rate on deposits or loans than they require from America's smaller banks because, you see, smaller banks are riskier places to park their money. Unlike the big banks, the smaller ones won't be bailed out if they get into trouble. This hidden subsidy, this too-big-to-fail subsidy, gives Wall Street's big banks a competitive advantage over the smaller banks, which means Wall Street makes more money and as its profit grows, the big banks keep getting bigger. How large is this hidden subsidy? 
Well, several researchers have calculated that it's about eight-tenths of a percentage point. This may not sound like much, but multiply eight-tenths of a percentage point by the total amount of money parked in the 10 biggest Wall Street banks, and you get a huge amount. Well over 30, no, I, I started to say that wrong. It's well over $83 billion a year, $83 billion a year subsidy. That hidden subsidy going to Wall Street banks is because they're too big to fail. That's almost twice what Wall Street paid out in bonuses last year. You do the math. Without the subsidy, no bonus pool. And by the way, the lion's share of that subsidy goes to the top five banks. J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, which just about equals these banks' typical annual profits. In other words, take away the subsidy, and not only does the bonus pool disappear, so do the profits. The reason Wall Street bankers got fat paychecks plus $45 billion in bonuses last year wasn't because they worked so much harder or so much cleverer or more insightful than most other Americans. They cleaned up because they happened to work in institutions, big Wall Street banks, that hold a privileged place in the American political economy. And why exactly do these institutions continue to have such privileges? Why hasn't Congress used the antitrust laws to cut them down to size so none of them is too big to fail? Or at least, why hasn't Congress taxed away this hidden subsidy? Could it be because Wall Street also accounts for a large portion of campaign donations to major candidates for Congress and the presidency of both parties? Look, America's low-wage workers don't have privileged positions. They work hard, many holding down two or more jobs. They can't afford to make major campaign contributions. They have zero political clout. The paid-what-you're-worth ideology ignores power, which means it ignores the single most important reason why hourly workers today are earning so little while corporate top brass are earning so much. For years, this paid-what-you're-worth ideology has lured the unsuspecting into thinking nothing should be done, nothing can be done to change what people are paid because it would be fruitless. That's just the way the market works. Well, this ideology is finally cracking. The revival of union activism across America suggests that workers are finally getting the message. If they want higher wages and better working conditions, they need the power to get them. And to have that power, they need a union. <laughs>